1: Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema, a film show of three acts. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, I only forgot who I was then, Pete, uh, with my other co-host, Pete Wall. Pete, how are you?
0: I'm good, man. I've made the maverick decision to uh, not get anything to drink before doing this show, and I'm already <laughs> feeling the uh, negative effects of that, and I think I'm probably going to die of dehydration by the time we're done. But it's cool. We'll keep it flowy. Uh, we close to get into, man, not least because we actually had a sort of unplanned week off. Now, um, like, people who pay attention to what we talk about on this, you know, there are dozens and dozens of those people, uh, might have noticed that we talked on the last episode that we did, uh, 103, about the fact that we were on the cusp of going on my stag do. Those two things, missing a show and going on that stag do, might have something in connection. It could be related, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we thought about doing a show last week, and I think the energy levels would have been so desperately low that we would have lost the listeners that we... have gathered over this time so we are back now uh, i think mostly fully energized at least at sort of 80 or 90 percent hopefully and um we're going to produce something of worth this week which is all kind of hung off a film that i know you maybe more than me were looking forward to paul what's the feature or the the centerpiece of this week's show
1: uh, so the feature or centerpiece of this week's show, as you so sort of eloquently put it, Pete, is uh, Shane Black's The Predator. So the third Predator sequel now, uh, I would say, very much anticipated because of Shane Black's involvement. So we'll get to more of that later. As I said, I was very excited this, about it. But.
0: Did it? Did I? Uh, you know, cast your mind back. Did this come up on your most anticipated of the year? list? I think it did
1: actually. I I think you might be correct there. I think you've, you're remembering better. Than I can me, remember but I'm talking confident about it. Did. it. Fairly confidently, yeah, it did because of course of Shane we.
0: Yeah, we went back to, um, there was a a sort of um, retrospective uh, classic screening or whatever of Predator at the cinema. Am I right about that? Or did we just watch it for the show for some reason? I think there was one at the cinema,
1: ruined by knobheads running around down the front.
0: Was that the same screening? Right, Maybe so. We we went back to the Predator anyway, and we, sorry, to Predator, let's be clear, uh, and, and discussed that then. And then I know you were looking forward to it, yeah, like you say, because Shane Black was sort of in the director's chair. Now, what we do on the show, as you know, now that we've changed format to three acts, is that we try and link the rest of the show to that central review. In this case, because we are talking about the Predator, and because this is a new iteration of the Predator, we decided that we do our top five list in Act 2 this week on sequels. The best sequels, in our opinion, the times when maybe the second film is better than the first film. We haven't, I don't think, been absolutely stringent about the fact that it's got to be a second film. It could be a third or a fourth or a fifth. We'll just see how that falls when we actually get to that countdown. We haven't seen each other's list. We usually don't and then in the third act of the show we're going to have a little discussion about films that we think should have a sequel even though they currently don't have one so those kind of um characters or plot arcs or whatever it might be that we think deserve revisiting and haven't as yet been revisited but before all of that paul about this time in the show we have a section it's called what have you been watching paul anderson what have you been watching over the last two weeks as you've been sort of lifting yourself from the pits of physical <laughs> and mental like d- doom after that, after that weekend that we will never speak of again? Uh,
1: so yesterday I spent six hours playing Spider-Man on the PS4, so that's not what I've been watching at all. But I just wanted to shoot on it in there because it's been a long, long time, Pete, since I've sat in front of the same video game for six hours straight and completely forgotten what the time was. So We have touched on video games briefly before but I would say if anyone has a PS4 and is looking for something to play you could do a lot worse than Spider-Man, it's a lot of fun a lot of fun yeah, and not, this... not
0: going to be possible mate not going to be possible because I uh, not long ago got the new iteration of Pro Evo so that is all I play game now game over then
1: yeah that's all you played <laughs> anyway I don't
0: know <laughs> I know kind of is I took a month off between 2018 and 2019 editions where I got rid of my 2018 and hadn't got the 2019 edition right. and then the trial came out so I actually cut into that time a little bit but yeah I, I need to, to sort my life out because I basically play one game at this point Um, Spider-Man do people die this is the question that comes to my mind because I've heard that they do—they go to great pains in that game to make sure that, like, when you throw a guy off a building, he's actually like spiderwebbed to the side of the building and not actually dead. Is this true? Uh,
1: yes, I mean people do die. No one the, dies. The villains kill people, uh, but Spider-Man does not. Never. Not as far as I'm aware. Generally, they are just left oh. webbed, webbed in webbed in oh. webbed in numerous places. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. They've nailed the swinging mechanic incredibly well. There's even a Stan Lee cameo in it, which is quite. Uh, Quite a nice nod to the films. Uh, incredible game if you haven't played it, play it. But that's completely off topic. Uh, you want to know what films I've been watching, don't you, Pete?
0: Yeah, have you fitted any of those like films in around this Spider-Man binge that you've been on? Uh, I have, yes. I have watched
1: a number of films, you'd be pleased to know. Uh, the first of which I'm going to talk about um, is a film that I've been meaning to watch for a very, very long time. Uh, directed by, a believe, Travis Knight. Uh, and this is um, an incredibly beautiful animation that I think you've seen, Pete. Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah great. Yeah, yeah. just uh, just so much so much imagination in the animation it just looks incredible like mind like mind-blowing the beautiful character designs and like loads of creatures and Weird ships made of flower petals and it just it's just like it's almost very dreamlike in the in the way that it's put together. Um with some quite frankly quite scary villains, Pete, in the the kind of the the masked witches voiced by Rooney Mara. They're genuinely terrified in places, but yeah, it's a very, very exciting, well put together film. Uh and I have to say, and I might have I think this was on Jack's most anticipated film of the year, Travis Knight is next next up giving us the Bumblebee Transformer spin-off movie. So I'm uh, well, I'm quite hopeful that if it, if he brings uh, some of that energy to it and, but I get hopeful about every time there's a Transformers movie come out. I look at it and go, maybe I this know. is the one. Maybe this is the one, and it never is. But I know you're like that. You're like that heroin addict yeah. ch- <laughs> uh,
0: chasing the dragon yeah. pool, where it's like maybe it will be like that first time. But each time you take on more and more Transformers, it is slowly but surely killing. Well, it. yeah, this is just get yeah.
1: yourself wean yourself
0: <laughs> off Transformers. I don't know though. Don't come on. yourself up. But
1: Come on. Based on this, Kubo and the Two Strings is a fucking great film. There's there's no doubt about it. It's really really good. Looking at the Bumblebee yeah, but trailer, it's not, that's because
0: it's not Transformers. But looking at the Bumblebee trailer, the have
1: you seen the Bumblebee trailer? It looks like it's actually got no. some heart in it this time. So I'm quietly hopeful about Bumblebee because Travis Knight's directing it. But going back, so is this not is no Michael Bay involved? Michael in Bay is involved; he's producing, I think, but he's not uh, directing at least. Um, so that's that's okay. a winner. But yeah, Cobra and the Two Strings—if you haven't seen it already, it's great. Uh, it's yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, highly entertaining animation, and you should seek it out at once if you haven't seen it. What else? What
0: else have you got that has no connection to the world of Michael Bay and/or Transformers?
1: Um, this is I've, as my love of Cold War, as probably regular listeners will be aware, I quite like that film. Uh, I've been working through Pavel Porolsky's back catalogue, um, which I think I talked have. about. I think I talked about uh, last. I bet.
0: I bet you're. I bet you're there in like the <laughs> local pubs of Bathport, and you just go in and you sort of lean into a corner chair, and you just go like, oh, I've been. Uh... I've actually been working my way through Pavel Pavlovsky's back catalogue recently. Well, in uh, fairness,
1: seen any? You need to. What you need to look forward to is I don't know if some people will be aware that we we'll have been organising this sort of film and video game quiz with the guys in Bath called Walkers Caucus. I've been writing some questions for, so if you come into the next quiz, look forward to the Pavel Pavlovsky round, uh, which will be incredibly difficult. Now I'm not going to put that in, really. Jeez. Okay, um, get to yeah. it. What 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 Pavel have you have you watched? So this recently? is uh, 2004's "My Summer of Love," starring. In, I think in one of the earliest as I can remember seeing her in it a very young Emily Blunt and also a young Paddy Constantine Um,
0: yeah sure yeah I've seen this yeah
1: it's I watched it I have seen it before um, but yeah it's just a really really sort of it's a very well put together very well acted um, sort of contemporary take on a fairy tale really so you have um, a character played by a woman I've completely forgotten the name of now so you have a young a young female character I'm finding the actor's name as I speak um, who meets Emily Blunt's um it's Natalie Press plays the, the female character. Shall I say she's probably seventeen, eighteen, working class sort of village in the north of England somewhere, uh, and meets Emily Bunt's character who's riding a white horse at the time, uh, and is clearly very, very well to do and very, very money, lives in a huge mansion, this huge mansion estate separated from from the rest, sort of the, the village um that the, the Natalie Press's character lives in and they she kind of gets becomes completely smitten with emily Bunt's character emily Bunt's character takes her off the rails uh they fall in love a love story develops between them and then it takes some twists and turns but it's a it's just that it's a very interesting take on a classic fairy tale. So you have Emily Blunt's characters like the princess on the white horse. You go to the large castle, which is Emily Blunt's character's sort of mansion where she lives in. And um, Natalie Press's character just gets completely besotted with this lifestyle and besotted with Emily Blunt. But it's a really uh, it's a really interesting interesting take on the, on the fairy tale, as I've mentioned about nine times now. Uh, but yeah, it's very, very good if you haven't seen it very well acted and intriguing to see uh, Emily Blunt in an early role. Because I have seen this film before, and I think at the time, Emily Blunt wasn't a wasn't on anyone's radar and neither was Paddy Constantine at that point so if you haven't seen it it's, it's very very good um and you should check it out uh you've seen this Pete haven't you did you say
0: My Summer of Love yeah yeah I liked it from what I can remember man it was a long time ago but yeah I remember it being being sort of an above average drama uh with some sort of emotional meltdown in it so yeah a, enjoyable that's that's uh, what well, that was well, that, that was, was written on the back of the it, box,
1: there's my quote, enjoyable. Yeah, it's just enjoyable, yeah, done. Uh, the uh, What else have I watched? I have watched um, another film that I've been meaning to catch up with for ages, uh, directed by Scott Cooper. This is Black Mass from 2015, starring Johnny Depp as uh, the infamous uh, US gangster stroke FBI yeah, Is it any good? I, um, I've, put this off. I've put this off for absolutely you know ages. Is it, it, any is. Good? it is, except for... I, we were talking about this last night when we watched it Is that the, the prosthetics they put Johnny Depp in To make him look more like the character of Whitey Bulger The prosthetics are okay He's got these really, really sort of piercing blue um, contact lenses Now apparently the, the character, the real life character Had very piercing blue eyes and if you look at the making of footage, the piercing blue eyes don't look too bad. In the actual film itself, Johnny Depp just looks ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. He looks a bit, someone said he looks a bit like Lemonoy Snicket from the series of Unfortunate Events. He just looks too pantomime really for the for the makeup and certainly the contact lenses to work. That aside, it is still a very, very good film and I would recommend that people watch it. I found it to be a very engaging drama. Um, there's some, It's got a very talented cast. You've got Johnny Depp, uh, Joel Edgerton, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh adam scott um a number of other people as well there's just big names just kept crawling out the woodwork i'm like where have where have they got this cast from um so no it's very very good and it kind of explores it takes i'd say a more realistic and sort of more sort of dour approach to uh, fbi corruption and the link between the fbi and organized crime and about how they use they used whitey bulger to try and bring down bigger Bigger criminal organisations, and it kind of touches on the moral implications of whether that's all right or not, and it, it leads on to that. So yeah, I was um, yeah, I think Scott Cooper for me is a solid director, uh, and this is another another solid film from him. So if you haven't seen it, don't be put off by the prosthetics, which do look ridiculous. The film is worth it aside from that. So. The last thing on my list for this week is one I know you've seen as well, and this is something we were going to talk about last week, but obviously we were all asleep. Uh, so this is uh, American Animals, which came out last week at the cinema. Who's the director of this, Pete? Do you have that information to it's, hand? Uh, B- Bart Layton is the director. He's a, I don't he's know. a documentary filmmaker, isn't he, I think? Prior to American Animals. Oh, Did he,
0: he made yeah he made, he the made that movie, The The Imposter. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of his his biggest credit, I suppose. The Imposter, which told that like amazing story about the guy who sort of showed up in response to a missing person's call after years and years and years of someone being missing as a child and claimed to be that person and sort of tried to ingratiate himself with the family and say like I'm the son that you lost for all this time, even though he wasn't even the right nationality to fill that role. It's pretty fascinating. Check it out. Um, and it kind of has a bearing on this movie doesn't it because that thing blends reconstruction with first-hand account and this thing American Animals also does something similar where you've got this story of uh, true crime which took place in Lexington in Kentucky in 2004 so not that long ago actually when we were you know uni age I guess um, 21 or whatever Uh, so similar age to these guys at the time anyway and um, they attempted to a group of guys from that university anyway attempted to steal some art books rare art books from the university's library in a sort of locked up room there or like a special visitations room um and the story is pieced together from talking head interviews with the guys who are actually involved in a the similar fashion to something like touching the void where you know they're not dead for example because they're telling the story uh but then also this this live action um reconstruction stuff that gives you a more dramatic um pastiche of the things that went on or apparently went on at the time it also has in it paul which is interesting like that kind of semi-reliable narrator thing that was used in itonia where like they'll some someone who's involved will tell a story and they say oh i can't quite remember the detail maybe it was like this or maybe it was like that and then the reconstruction will follow whatever it is that they're saying happened to give uh, to make a point i suppose about the way that like memories are unreliable and and f- Fragmented and so on. Um, did you like this movie, Paul? Did you find it thrilling? Did it work on either a dramatic or sort of documentary level? Uh, for the most uh, part, level? for the most
1: part, I think it did work for me. I think the the docudrama approach, I think, kept it feeling fresh. I don't think it would have been that exciting as a heist movie in its own right. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the docudrama elements definitely definitely helped it. Um, I did struggle a bit ethically. Well, I did some reading about this afterwards. Actually, I struggled a bit ethically because I thought, well, hold on a minute, these guys. These guys obviously they've served their time for the crime that they committed, and my concern was is that they've been given sort of massive paychecks for the right to this story because there's that quite harrowing scene where they um, they they beat up the, the library. Uh, the librarian, and kind of tie her up. And Dowd, and a... no less, yes. in the uh, Reconstruction. Um, yeah, and they, kind of, they they beat up the, the librarian and sort of tie her up, and then she's talking about the fact that she she can't understand why they would have done it and this kind of thing. And I did have some ethical concerns as to whether these guys have actually got a massive paycheck to, to kind of to get the rights to this story, because in my from my point of view, they don't deserve it. Uh, intriguingly enough, they didn't peak. They actually got paid an hourly rate for their time, and that was that. Um, I did read an interview with the director about that and it's quite interesting apparently because the somewhat another film studio, the director had wanted to make this for quite a few years and another film studio had had the rights to this story uh, and just let it lap so he'd been very keen to make it and make it this way and I think yeah the docudrama approach works well I think it adds a bit of weight to what otherwise would have, wouldn't have been that exciting because not a lot in terms of heist, not a lot happens. It's the more about the planning and what goes into it. I think the the performances are good. Um, you've got the guy who came up through American Horror Story, um, Evan, this, Evan Peters. Evan Peters, and then the guy Barry, someone who we confused Barry with Barry Kean. Barry Kean, who we confused with um, Ty Sheridan. That other a while. guy, yeah, the other guy. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Barry Kean did actually say I was reading an interview with him. I think it was Barry Kean that said he said it's the it's the first film you've probably seen where the characters. Uh, that the film is based on are better looking than the actors that actually play them. Yes, yeah, that, that may well
0: may well be the case. I mean, it had it, it brought to mind to for me um, that TV show that I harp on about sometimes, uh, banged up abroad. It had a feeling of that because <laughs> the, because that show, but that show is all about the people who did some sort of drug smuggly type crime, telling their story as it's reconstructed to make it sort of dramatic and exciting and mm. sort of build to, to climactic moments and stuff like that. And I think that it's done very effectively on that show, and I think it was done pretty effectively here as well. And like the ethical thing that you talk about is a thing that's always in mind when you watch Banged Up Abroad as well, it's like if this guy did drug smuggling and then just made his career off writing books about it or whatever then you know do you feel a bit odd about about that happening and that being a way to sort of profit. Um, I think though yeah like you said it's important that the film is successful as a piece of entertainment isn't it because I, I think like you I agree that like the heist doesn't have a lot of elements to it but what is interesting about the movie I think is that these guys who are speaking to camera the guys who actually carried this thing out or at least attempted to are talking about how the reason that they did this um, when it really comes down to it is because they wanted to know what it was like when you got up to that line of the things that society accept as sort of like regular or uh, acceptable behavior and then you step over that line and you go into that sort of dark land you go into that gray area or you go into that just that bad place where you've 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 done a
1: a serious crime you've wronged people and you're you've talking about a, your stag do or american animals now? Uh, yes yes <laughs>
0: it, it really heralded it, it took my mind back to uh... So that weekend but but yeah I mean I've felt that way and I think a lot of young people have felt that way where you think like yeah but like we you know I've assimilated all of these rules into my mind about like the way I'm supposed to behave and what I should and shouldn't do in a particular situation but what if I went another way and usually what happens in you know in the hearts of m- and minds of regular folk uh, you and I included I'm, I'm sure Paul is that like you get right to that line and then you think like no I can't do that because there's too much holding me back inside there's too much fear there's too much nervousness and like it's not at all what i would never want to say that like i kind of was cheering them on or like approved of what they did but the reasoning behind doing it to me seemed altogether quite relatable so um yeah you know bad things that they did bad things but i'm not sure they're necessarily bad people and i think you get that impression the more that you hear from them in the
1: yeah i would agree with that and i think if they if they hadn't taken the the, the docudrama approach and hadn't had the, the the actual people on it i don't think the film would have had that added depth that it's got so i think the reason the film works is for is because it's simply because of that approach um, I, yeah. don't, I think if, it, you, if you just made a dramatic film about that you wouldn't have got that you they'd have been like they would have been like anti-heroes they'd have been like the oceans 11 all that kind of thing and they'd have been painted that way yeah and at one point you even get that
0: like blurred line where you've got um Evan Peters I think it is his his character that he's portraying waiting in the car as the Barry Kean character goes into a convenience store to pick something up a gas station and then the real life character is sat down next to Evan Peters who is playing that real yeah. life guy uh, and so you've got that kind of blurring of fact and fiction and i like that stuff it was pretty effective and this thing kept my interest till the end i don't think that it's gonna it's gonna sort of climb to the to the tops of many end of year lists necessarily but i think it's a good film and it's an interesting thing and it's the kind of film that will start conversations as well between people i think that's that's altogether a good thing really isn't it
1: yeah no, i agree i agree what else have you got pete then we've uh segwayed neatly uh, over to your side of the uh your side of the section <laughs> we have we'll, we'll, yeah I've just got a couple this week Paul
0: because um, I have been watching TV shows uh, playing video games and also being quite lazy and also trying to train for a half marathon I should say so not all lazy but I'm um, talking about going over onto that that other side, Paul. Going over into ooh, The Beyond. I watched The Beyond, Paul. The Beyond is a, a strange little film that's sitting on Netflix at the moment.
1: Not um, the Luchia one, no? Eh? Another one? No, this okay. is
0: uh, from a director called Hasraf Dlul, who I believe was like an SFX guy who got the chance to put together his own feature. And that is The Beyond. The Beyond is about an attempt to send... Um, astronauts through what looks to be a kind of wormhole that's opened up in the sky um, that might link to some kind of other dimension and the thing about this movie is you kind of link it with american animals i guess is that it's not that we're, obviously this is not a true story it's not a documentary but what you do have is sort of a documentary or mockumentary style of interviewing the central players in the drama so the people who are involved at the space center level who are sending these guys off are constantly being interviewed most of the film is just made up of interviewing the people involved in the events that are occurring on screen aside from that this is has got an awful lot in common with the movie Arrival okay. which which I think, maybe, at least to um, some viewers, isn't going to do it any favors because the budget here is minuscule in comparison. But what this guy, uh, as I say, Hasraf Dalil, has succeeded in doing is pulling together quite an interesting sci fi movie that mostly manages to convince you that it has a greater financial backing than it actually does like this this thing could look like absolute trash if it didn't have a guy who clearly knows what's up with making fx shots on a budget um so for me and i don't know if everybody would agree and i don't know if this is going to be for everybody but for me if you're a sci-fi person you could do a lot worse um it, it came out 2017 the beyond and i'd just be interested for like more people to see it. I mean the the letter average is two point six. It's not, you know, you know uh smashing any records in terms of high scoring or anything like that but if you're a fan of things yeah like Arrival like Gravity like all kinds of um, space exploration movies I think at least the ideas are here if not the huge spectacle that you might get from some of those things so cool worth checking out um yeah I'd like to talk about it later if you get the chance to see it as well Paul. yeah
1: I will I I noticed it I noticed it appeared I just haven't got around to it
0: yet um anything else yeah, what, just one more and then I'll be out of this part um, This one is another Netflix movie But um, this one's a Netflix original I believe It's called The After Party um, This one is all about a guy who wants to make it as an MC in the world of hip hop And in order to do that, he's got this one shot, a little bit like in 8 Mile, when uh, Rabbit, the Eminem character, takes the stage and (laughs) has to spit for the first time in front of, like, a proper audience. In this case, um, he, instead of, like, you know, doing the, uh, what's that, lose yourself or whatever, that that rhyme that he does in, in 8 Mile, he starts doing a rhyme, it's good, the room's starting to warm to him, he's starting to sort of, like, pop a little bit, And then because he was previously smoking, like, heavy chronic with Wiz Khalifa backstage, uh, he vomits on Wiz Khalifa and then starts (laughs) to have what seems like an epileptic seizure. Um, From this point, uh, tricky, Paul, because then the, the thing that goes viral, this is a movie very much concerned with sort of virality in the modern world and technology and young people and stuff. What goes viral is the fact that his nickname is now... Sieger boy sort of stylized like soldier boy yeah. kind of um yeah that's a problem a little bit because the film at first seems like it's going to come down on the side of judging that you know um making a meme out of something unfortunate and then later just kind of abandons that and goes like yeah that's just that he's just seizure boy because it's quite funny i'm not sure that a central sort of pop hip hop character uh, being mocked for having an epileptic seizure is actually that funny and that's a no, bit I'm of kind a kind of problem. with you there because I
1: laughed awkwardly and then you mentioned that he'd been sick and had a seizure and I was like yeah that's not actually that yeah, funny now, yeah. yeah I
0: mean th- the good things to recommend the after party so this is a kind of rambling hanging out in the world of hip hop movie a little bit like something like Top 5 the Chris Rock movie which I like quite a bit funnily enough Jordan Rock who is Chris Rock's younger brother son younger brother I don't know. Some, You're asking the wrong man there. Okay, uh, one, one or other of those. He's younger than Chris Rock. I think he's about thirty. probably younger brother. Let's go with that. Uh, he of uh, he was in Love uh, the the show with Gillian Jacobs um, on Netflix, which is cool. Uh, he's good. He's good value. You've got like tons of uh, hip hop cameos. He's a brother. Brother, thank yeah. you. Uh, tons of hip hop cameos uh, like Wiz Khalifa. I mentioned uh, Pusha T, uh, French Montana. A very like commercial hip hop cameo um hit count I guess here so fans of the genre will find things to like there are definitely things I enjoyed in the movie the central character is a, a, a hip-hop artist in his own right so his actual lyricism stands up where I think in a movie like uh, what was that one was called, patty cakes where like some of those <laughs> bars are decent and some of them are just like so cringingly terrible that you you know you don't really know what to do with that here yeah he, he writes bars that they're, they're decent If you like hip-hop, yeah, you'll enjoy those bits. Basing a sort of, um, uh, yeah, comedy lark around a guy who, who may have epilepsy... Not so much. But um, yeah, The After Party is currently on Netflix, directed by Ian Edelman. Check it out, have your own opinions and that. And uh, yeah, that's me done with this section, Paul. Uh, anything else from you? Should we get out of, of Act 1 and into... Uh, oh, sorry, out
1: of, out of our pre-Act 1 and into Act 1 for real. <laughs> uh, no, I'm pretty excited to talk about The Predator, to be fair. So we'll be back very briefly with our review of The Predator.
0: So we are back. Act one of the show, Paul. It is our big feature review. And this week we've got a doozy. It is The Predator, as we mentioned at the top of the show, directed by Shane Black. Shane Black, of course, who was one of the... Now, you're going to correct me here, and I and I welcome that. Uh, one of the sort of bit part characters, bit part players in the original Predator. He was the right? first
1: person to be killed by The Predator. The first person in the squad of Marines to be the killed by The Predator. The first Vic in the first Predator, Shane Black. Shane Black,
0: of course, who's gone on to do... Um, all manner of things, since, um, including but not limited to uh, stuff more recently like uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Nice Guys, which I think was his last movie before this, and what were the other one? Lethal Weapon movie? Iron Man probably. three, Pete. You did Iron Man and, three. As oh, well. who could yeah. forget Iron Man three with that sort of electrical <laughs> whip thing? Um, that was Iron Man two, but never mind. <laughs> oh, was it Iron Man two? Was Iron Man three the one where there were multiple Iron Men? Yes. Okay, I, I'm back. It's more a I'm film about Tony Stark.
1: You're back in the MCU game yeah yeah
0: um so yeah anyway back back to the film that we we're talking about which yeah. is the predator so sort of a long time in the making we had that movie predators with adrian brody's nose in it like a few years ago uh where they were all dropped on an alien planet and being hunted and it was kind of good fun but it had a like weird production value and it sort of looked a bit grainy my opinions others others are
1: available um in this one though what we've got
0: is can i just situ-
1: jump in and also say this is co this is co- so this is co-written by shane black and also by fred decker who, who, fred, who co-wrote yeah. He Co wrote many many years ago one of my favorite films of all time. Is it House, uh, no, Monster Squad. He co wrote oh. Monster Squad. So Shane Black and Fred Decker, many many years ago, co wrote Monster Squad. But, so, but this the is the same Fred team Decker, wrote Monster Squad.
0: Is Fred Decker also of story writing credits on House and House too, right? Uh, I mean, we yes, can't, it we is. can't skip well, over that. Well, well done, sir. It's
1: like you've got the internet in front of you, it, it's almost <laughs> like that,
0: but it's the internet of my mind. Uh, yeah, uh, so. Shane Black and Fred Decker involved the Predator. What are we going to get? Are we going to get sort of guys in the jungle getting picked off in, in a sort of silent assassin mode a little bit like the first movie or are we going to get some sort of alien versus Predator silliness? Um, I would say the film falls somewhere between those two posts Paul but um, yeah the central players here you've got Boyd Holbrook who's playing like the kind of square-jawed uh, hero character who's had a skirmish with the Predator um, in, a, in a previous experience as a super soldier, I don't know, <laughs> What's he, what was his role? As a sniper. <laughs> okay, as a sniper, uh, he becomes a member of a sort of ragtag bunch of guys and one girl. The girl is played by Olivia Munn who is here a biologist. Let's say, uh, also Travante Rhodes from uh, Moonlight. We've also got uh, Keegan Michael Key, of course, that we know and, <laughs> and love uh, from Key and Peele. Uh, we've got Thomas Jane, uh, the, the the original Punisher, perhaps, uh, unless I'm going to be corrected I'm on that fungus. one. Um,
1: Dolph Lundgren uh, was the it was the first Punisher. On oh, Pell- you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is what I'm doing, dude. I, I'll do this whole thing by He's just, just stumbling me yeah. into
0: stuff, and you can correct me. I'm cool with that. Uh, but yeah, the, the predator is coming to uh, to to prey on folk, and they're all going to make like a series of jokes about how it's not really a predator um, because it hunts for sport. Before we get into our thoughts about this iteration of this franchise, um, Paul, let's hear a little clip.
1: Okay, fuck this Hey, asshole What the fuck was that? It's a chance for you to survive Go, I got this So I think to kick things off I'm going to do a quote from my favourite sequel of the last few years Star Wars The Last Jedi Uh, At one point in that Luke Skywalker delivers a line of Which I believe is This is not going to go the way you think Uh, And I think that, for me, in one line, perfectly sums up this film, The Predator. Um, It is 100% not the film I expected at all. uh, And in a lot of ways, for me, that was quite a good thing. Um, it is. I would. It's probably as much broad comedy as it is sort of sci-fi horror, with without a shadow of a doubt. I think. I think if you look at look at the, the team of people that you've put together, especially Keegan Michael Key, uh, Tom Jane as uh, a sort of PTSD marine with Tourette's um yeah dude we'll get into that later but like linking
0: to my after party thing I've got things to say about that yeah no as have I in fairness
1: as you know in fairness as have I because that we'll we'll get into we'll get to that um Boyd Holbrook who I think is great again I think I've got a bit of a man crush on Boyd Holbrook if I'm entirely honest I think he was great in Narcos he's superb in Wolverine I think he's very very good here again but yeah the um yeah the the kind of over we've and Sterling K Brown as well is quite funny and this is the kind of the military, the kind of overarching military doctor. So yeah, they've they've definitely played it for uh, over the top, over the top laughs um, and over the top gory sci-fi nonsense. Um, and on that basis, for me, the film works quite well, but not not without reservations. I would say, Pete. Um, yeah, what what you haven't mentioned so far in terms of characters
0: anyway is that you also have uh, Boyd Holbrook's young son uh, yes. uh, play, <laughs> played by Tremblay Jacob, Jacob Tremblay of Room Breakout fame and then stuff like the film that I think you you dubbed Shitten. Uh, <laughs> that was a Tremblay <laughs> joint, right? Shut in. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> but... But in this case, he plays this kid who is clearly on the autism spectrum, who's incredible at sort of calculations, but less good at socialization, I guess, um, who, well, I can't say stumbles across alien technology. He doesn't. He, it's, it's. It's delivered to him by by some means that I don't want to spoil. Um, he yeah, he gets this alien technology and it's played for again what you said, Paul, broad comedy. In in I think one of the most effective parts of the film where he wears the alien mask the as predator a predator mask pal- is yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, brilliant. the yeah. alien mask, predator mask, as a Halloween costume, walking around the local neighbourhood um, with consequences that are both quite funny and it's, quite, it's, um, that scene is great because
1: he's so he's got he's, the the mask obviously far too big for Zen. He's got a gaffer tape to his head as well, and it is I think uh, Shane Black did say that he wanted he wanted the film in in many ways to evoke E. T. Um, and most of it doesn't <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. That bit does that works quite well, I think. So
0: yeah, yeah. well, it's like E. T. if. E.T. came down to just like fuck everyone up horribly because <laughs> one thing that Shane Black is, is not, well I don't think, I was going to say one thing he's not shy about, I don't think Shane Black's incredibly shy about anything, but one thing he's certainly not shy to do in his movies is show uh, very full on um, sometimes like bordering on gratuitous violence and I'm not judging that or saying that's in any way a bad thing but like I think back to stuff like The Nice Guys where there are sort of arm snapping sequences and stuff where you think, oh this This is where there's going to be a cut now. This is where the camera is going to cut. Oh, no. Oh, no. We've just seen that. That feels horrible to me. And I'm just watching it. So in this thing, he has a wonderful time with like the way in which people are going to be sliced and impaled and just like badly damaged by the predator uh, wreaking havoc. Now, Paul, is it time or do you have anything else in terms of sort of preamble before I get into the reason why I've sort of gone left and you've gone right in the fact that I don't think this movie works? Can I get to that yet or do we need to say anything else? Uh, No, go for it. Okay, so it's not some great takedown. I enjoyed many elements of this movie. I had a pretty good time in the cinema, but I I want you to come back on this because you're more of a Predator guy than I am. For me, the first Predator movie, which I think is good but not great, um, works because not so much for me the broad humour, we talked about it on the show, but like some of that I, I had a hard time with and maybe it's not dated well, but is because the fact that the central predator character is so iconic and a lot of that to me comes from the fact that this is an unseen largely unseen assassin in the dark that is scary and elusive and super like powerful and um, you know deadly but but, but sort of from the shadows. What we have in The Predator, this movie that we're talking about now, is very early on we see here is the guy in the suit who is supposedly now the Predator running around in broad daylight largely... (laughs) in a brightly lit laboratory to open up when, when you know, that first breakout takes place. And for me, as much as I could then strap in for, like, good, fun time killings, I couldn't really strap in for any kind of, like, sense of real threat. Because none of these people ver- ever seem particularly vulnerable. I mean, even you've got Olivia Munn here, who, thankless task, I think, is supposed to play a biologist. You won't buy it for a second. Then a comedy character, I'm not sure she's got the chops for. And then before like she's had a chance to really establish herself as a character, she's supposed to convince the audience that she can just pick up a weapon and start blasting away with the snipers <laughs> and the best of them. Um, which is all good fun, but it, it stops some viewers it stops me from really connecting with this story in anything other than a like oh it's just all tongue and in, tongue-in-cheek bullshit and it'll be over in an hour and a half you know so i just wanted a bit more threat and i wanted a bit more danger and i wanted a bit more shadow shadow play paul and i didn't get a lot of that why am i wrong if i'm well, right
1: this is the thing i think a number of points you made there were correct but with the whole the whole idea of, of it being more like the first predator film i think the problem with doing that is it was done so well in Predator uh, that to do it twice would be pointless, and it would but just to, be but not- to do it. But to do it
0: not that way risks it just not being a good movie, and I and I feel like at times no, that's in what fa- no it ends,
1: this ends up no, no in fa- fair enough. But for me, I for me, I'd rather they try and do something different and fail than try yeah. and make Predator again. Um, and yeah, there isn't there isn't the, the sustained level of threat there. I think. I think that's the thing I came out in enjoying this as I think I put someone's comment on Instagram somewhere that I for me, this wasn't far off just outright exploitation um, in terms of the way the way it was pretty bad taste humor, um, which we'll touch on in a bit um, and just over the top gore. And and on that basis, I enjoyed it. I, I can't really argue with any from a technical point of view. I can't really argue with any of the faults of the writing. Apparently, it went under a number of reshoots. There's been a, there was a whole different story where Schwarzenegger actually turned up at the end. Um, and apparently, years and years and years ago, there was potentially a plan to have Schwarzenegger come recruit these guys and then they go into space and fight predators. So I get the impression that the film has been... That movie. Many, yeah, it's an incredible idea. Uh, but I get the impression that this film has been through many, many, many iterations. And don't get me wrong, what we've got here is, to be frank, a bit of a fucking mess. But I still, it, for me, it was just such a fun, nonsensical mess that I just came out of it having a great time and I really quite liked it. That's not to say that your criticisms aren't valid because they entirely are. It's not a good film but it's one that I liked quite a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, obviously, Paul, I'm not sitting here going like, no, you didn't have fun watching this. Actually, <laughs> actually you didn't. Because I get that. Like, And there were t- there were there there was a, like a period of the movie sort of in the first, probably the first act where I thought, oh, I'm going to have an absolute blast with this thing. And I remember you saying before I went in, uh, when we talked about this a couple of hours of think before I went in, that uh, you didn't think I'd like it very much. And I was just so ready to come out and be like, oh, you got me totally wrong, Paul, because <laughs> I had a great time. But then I think just it's just simple things for me i agree with you it is an it, exploitation movie at heart nothing wrong with that whatsoever the you said it was uh uh decker fred decker was responsible for monster squad is that right yeah yeah right that and that Shame to Back me is Menace, yeah. that is so apparent because you know monster squad comes to mind when you see this kind of you know these things that shouldn't be in the suburban streets of you know uh, america or whatever well, and right? house as
1: well and house is just over the top over the top, like comedic horror. So the Fred Decker elements are there for all to see. Really. Yeah.
0: So, so I get that. But then, like comedic horror, um, ideally would be funny and, um, you know, ho- horrifying or scary. And this movie is de- certainly to me not really scary at all. Um, and it's not that funny either, which was a problem for me because. So we get to the point that I, that I sort of half-mentioned earlier on, which is that, for example, we have a character here, and all these characters are sort of ciphers for one characteristic or one character trait. And in the case of Thomas Jane, one of, I would say, like, my top 10 to 20 favourite living actors. I I, I I might go that far. Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane here gets to play a guy whose joke is, I've got Tourette. That's the joke. Yeah, there's, there is there's that nothing else. Awful
1: line he says to Olivia Munn's character as well. That was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. He and, uh, he was badly that, handled a bit. I, I can't. I can't I'm not going to re- try and defend the. the and Tirex when he guards. said
0: Paul, when he said that specific thing, it reminded me. Like I sound like I'm being like a moaning and I'm being sort of not liberal enough. But like it reminded me of the problem that I had with some of the humor in the original Predator movie, which is just like oh you like I get it like you're a bunch of goofs and you're in the jungle and you're all guys together but like maybe in 2018 that doesn't play so well this movie wasn't made in the 80s it was made in you know or around the current time and so that that was tough and then like just yeah uh, I don't know I do want to say though before I get like super negative I'm not going to do that um, you mentioned and I agree with this Sterling K Brown is probably the standout of, of everyone in the movie I think it's really good um, like Alfie Allen don't need him what did he do sorry no was I I've never liked he was he some sort was of Irish yeah. militia guy I'd or forgotten something. he was in
1: it I'd actually forgotten he was in it until you just mentioned his name
0: just to- totally pointless character that one um Trevante Rhodes, I like a great deal. He didn't have a great deal of stuff to do here. I think Boyd Holbrook was fine. So, and Keegan-Michael Key, man, like he's one of, again, one of the like funniest living men, I'd say. And (laughs) he gets a couple of doozies, like he gets a couple of good lines. But apart from that, it's just a shame. It seems like a missed opportunity because even the cast that was assembled here, the actual moving parts that we've got, it just felt like something better could have come of this. And instead something kind of average came of it. And that's a bit of a shame.
1: I can't really argue with you, to be honest, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> I, no, can't, that, totally I can't go enough. swooping in like Spider-Man uh, to this film's defence because there isn't that much to, to, to defend in in and everything that I've read about it. People are like, it's a mess. It is a mess. It's all over the shop. It, it seems to be three different stories butchered into one story. But I didn't really care. I just had a good time.
0: <laughs> well, you, long live Shane Black. So, yeah, I mean,
1: uh, Yeah, yeah roll, roll on the next one, whatever it's going to
0: be. Do we know? Let me see if I can find it. I don't know. Well, it's kind
1: of set up for one, isn't it? Um, possibly. The Weapon TV series? Oh, no, yeah, this that's, is from that's 2016. Been going for, that's, that's been
0: done. Uh, Doc Savage. It says here. Um. Other than that...
1: How does it compare for you, Pete? Have you seen... How does it compare for you to... And maybe I should be asking myself this question because I'm more of a fan of the franchise than you. But how does it compare to Predator 2 and Predators, would you say? Uh, Full
0: disclosure, I've never seen Predator 2. I've seen Predator, I've seen Predators, and I've now seen the predator i feel like we've got to do something a bit more original with these titles but um <laughs> yeah I, I don't know man like i enjoyed predators it was good fun i also thought it was kind of a little bit uh rough around the edges and uh not really in a good way um so i, I think this uh, of those two predators and the predator uh i i guess i might just give the edge to predators okay but not by a great deal, and then I would say just a little bit above both of those is the original film because I'm not like a giant super fan of the first no. film anyway. But I do think that it's got more going for it than either of the other two yeah, that I've sure. seen. No,
1: I think it's I think overall it just it's a worthy sequel. Uh, it's probably on a par with. I a lot of people there's a lot of hate out there for Predator two, which I don't really get because I quite enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I would say it's on a par with the others. It doesn't. It's not. I wouldn't say it's hands down the best sequel, but it's on a par with them. It hasn't. Uh, yeah, I think it's not it's not the film that i was anticipating it being when i put it on my most anticipated of the year i would say i was probably expecting something better than what we got but as i said i still enjoyed it anyway uh, does that wrap um, us up next or it, it does man yeah uh,
0: just just drop into uh shane black's next movie is called doc savage he's uh both co-writer and director and it stars dwayne the rock johnson paul so what more could <laughs> you possibly ask for sir Hopefully it'll come out on a Christmas in that. Day. There's just put a
1: Predator in that; that would be fine. Just stick a Predator <laughs> yeah, in it. If yeah.
0: you're if you're lacking for a bit of spark, just stick Predator in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it looks uh, interesting. About uh, Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze, raised from childhood by a team of scientists to become the original superhero of the 1930s, a man of great mental and physical strength. He went around the world battling larger-than-life villains. It's an adventure film. It's got Dwayne Johnson in it. We'll definitely review it on our show. But that does wrap up Act One. We'll be back in just a moment with our. Our top five sequels
1: and back we are so this is quite exciting and actually was a very very difficult list to put together i'll be honest because I, I thought i'd knuckle knuckled down a top five and then someone went what about this and then something else popped in the head, what about, what about this what about this what about this what i've tried to do is exclude films that we've talked about recently, so there's no Blade Runner 2049 on my list, although arguably it would be there, but we talked a bit about that on the last episode, so I'm not gonna go into that. so yeah, that's what I've, that's probably my notable exclusion that may have been on the list. Um, what were the other criteria for this? There wasn't really, was there, Pete? It was-
0: yeah, I mean, I thought we thought about this. It has to be the the first sequel thing, and we decided we're not going to be absolutely stringent on that. I've ended up, and I think you might have done as well, of like basically picking a load of second movies, um, just yeah, because otherwise movies, be the fair. the scope of this idea of like sequels that are good is so wide that it was kind of blowing my mind, and I was struggling to actually hammer down any kind of a list. So I think I've crept away from second movies on one notable occasion, but apart from that, they're all going to be second films. Otherwise, yeah, mine veer towards quite contemporary, and I think that's um, just because, to be honest, sequels have become a little bit more common in the last 20... Years or oh, so, yeah, for sure, I, yeah. I, I would imagine. So, yeah. Uh, without further ado, uh, do, Paul, we're going to go really long on this episode if we don't crack on. So, what have you got at number five, best sequels of all time?
1: Uh, at number five, best sequels of all time, I have got uh Richard Linklater's Before Sunset, Pete. Oh, well, I'm I'm going to go
0: right in. We're going to go tandem on this, Paul, because controversially, I've picked uh, Richard Linklater's Before
1: Midnight as my uh, oh, okay, it's the third first part, entry. So, so fair this enough. is
0: the the one that breaks away from the uh, the mold. But yeah, why why is it on your List.
1: Well, it just—it's just they're so well-written films. I think with and the, the idea, the, like the idea behind it of taking the same character—is there what eleven years between films? I think. Some like mistaken. That, yeah. So basically Before Sunset is the sequel to Before Sunrise where characters played by Ethan Hawke and Judy Delpy meet on a train initially um, and then fall in love and it's kind of a wall they won't they romance. Uh, and then so Before Sunset picks up the story um, 11 years later with the I same characters. I think it's nine
0: actually. Was it nine it's years nine
1: ago. and then nine, yeah. Nine of the nine, and it picks up the story again with with the same characters, and it's just I I just love the idea behind it that you pick up these characters so many years later, and I love what Richard Linklater does with these films, and he doesn't play to conve he doesn't play to the convention you think. So you're not necessarily picking them up nine years later, and they're living like a happy they're living happily ever after lifetime they, they've gone to meet things have happened and I just really I just really like the, the concept behind those films really um and I think it's very very sweet and actually the way those characters talk although I have this argument with my sister all the time where she's like I don't know those like these films no one talks like that I think it's a lot more accurate description of romantic relationships than a number of directors have put on screen what do you think
0: yeah I, I, I agree with you, man. I mean I think um uh, I, I should put this in a more delicate way, but I think that, like overall, Jesse, the Jesse character, and I think by design on Linklater's part, is a bit of a bell end, and I think he was kind <laughs> of a bit of a, a consistently a bit of a bell end across the eighteen year span of of the movies to this point. But the thing is that. Bellend's need their own, you know, long-lasting romances too. And so sticking around with this guy, you see the sort of a- apparent evolution of his character within the confines of being a bit of a Bellend, as much as he is um a, a somewhat lauded author and-, and semi-successful man um particularly sort of earlier on in in the arc of of the Before trilogy. But the reason I chose Before Midnight Paul and it could have been um Before uh, Sunset Yeah, Yeah. as well, is just because of the fact that I think uh, over recent years, I've kind of developed this feeling like um, I get more and more out of films that deal with romance, but deal with romance between people who are not young or not as young. Yeah. Because because of the things that you're mentioning with Before Sunset as well, like just because more things have passed and there's more water under the bridge and experiences have been had and like one of the standout sequences in um for me in Before Midnight, uh, the the final film in the trilogy is when they're in uh, some kind of dining situation somewhere in France I think and they're um, around the table with a group of friends and then there's a quite elderly lady talking about the absence of her now deceased partner and the way in which she used to lie with him in bed and be sort of suffocated by his physical form and sometimes she'd get too hot or find it difficult to breathe even but now that he's gone she looks for that all the time and misses that terribly and like I think that the film has more or at least as much to say about the various qualities and faces of sort of romantic love um uh, you know when compared with both of the first two movies as much as the first one is that kind of first sprouting of like this attraction and there's more of a like sexual element to it and all this stuff by the time we find these guys in their 40s in before midnight it's like Yeah, shit got real and like families happened and
1: you know, fallouts happened and like actual things happen that happen in people's lives. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, you're right. And like, unlike a lot of sort of traditional, I guess, romantic comedies where it's all about the people cute me or meet cute and then they end up, you know, having something come between them and then by the end of the movie they get together and then the movie ends. But this trilogy doesn't end there because we come back and then we come back again. So we see what that might look like. And I think for Richard Linklater doing that, he does a way better job than a lot of romantic uh, dramas or romantic comedies of actually connecting with the audience, because that's relatable. We've all had relationships that started off amazing and then went maybe not so well, but then maybe picked up again. Who knows? And so, yeah, I think it's an amazing trilogy. And like, if only Linklater would do a thing where he sort of followed people and went back like every year over a period of time
1: that'd be <laughs> incredible wouldn't it uh yeah. watch boyhood right uh paul it's back to you number four what have you got Number uh, number four oh i'm struggling with the order i'm going to put these in and number four i'm going to go with christopher nolan's the dark knight uh, now i know there's a lot of arguing about the fact that batman begins is arguably a better film i disagree um, i just think i think that batman begins is very very good but i just think the dark knight for me is one of those films that just absolutely nails how to do a hollywood action-packed blockbuster i think the scale on it is incredible uh the villain uh heath ledger's joker a lot's been said about it he's on far too many t-shirts and it does get a little bit frustrating seeing his face as much as you see his face uh but deservedly so it's a fantastic performance with a great villain um the soundtrack is great christian bale i think is great in this the set pieces are just incredible and the film just took for me took superhero movies to a whole nother level where they'd not been before um pete do you like you a dark knight fan yeah uh, interestingly on what you said i think i agree that the dark knight
0: is the better movie but that uh, batman begins is my favorite of that
1: trilogy yeah no that's, that's a fair shout because i think yeah but don't get me wrong i'm not i don't even know why i bought a batman begins because there's, there's no i'm not bad mouthing it in the slightest i like i like all the trilogy i even like dark knight rises which proves to be controversial in many conversations um but yeah, I just think this this in terms of in terms of sequels, um, this is why it's in my sort of top five sequels. It's not a list of top five sequels that are better than the originals. By the way, I seem to have drifted onto that, and that's not what we're doing here. But yeah, I just think it's an, an incredible sequel. And I just think just up to the ante incredibly well, and uh, showed um, what you can do with a big budget and um, a fairly and a well put together uh, script. Um, certainly from Christopher Nolan's point of view although he didn't write this did he I don't think I think it was David Goyer that wrote this um, right. but yeah just incredibly put together and actually when you watch it again a lot of people do say oh the Dark Knight trilogy there's not enough humour in it and it's responsible for how dour the DC universe has become that's not the case there's actually quite a lot of humour in the Dark Knight in, the, in that whole trilogy there's actually quite a lot of quips and quite a lot of jokes in it it's quite surprising to look back on uh, and they, they just they get the balance absolutely right and I just think in terms of saw it in IMAX and it just blew my it just I think it was the first film I'd seen in IMAX that had been shot in IMAX and it just blew me away like the scope of it the the grounding of the characters the bank robbery at the beginning is just superb it's just it's just pure entertainment from start to finish and I bloody love it Pete what have you got
0: well we'll pure like fountains of absolutely sumptuous style from start to finish is my number 4 Paul my number 4 is 2046 from uh director Wong Kar-wai which is sort of the uh, uh loose sequel uh, to In the Mood for Love uh this is yeah j- just like a bit like the movie In the Mood for Love just one of those films that washes over you like some kind of um cleansing ointment or something uh just full of like gorgeous like uh romance but also um interconnectedness it's the story of this like sci-fi author and the women who come in and out of his life the guy at the center is tony lung uh that the fans of, of chinese and hong kong cinema will know uh gong Li and then zhang zhi are, are both um incredibly magnetic beautiful uh, female centres to the movie as well. 2046 also stands out because the soundtrack is astonishingly uh, and beautifully put together. And it, it's one of those where um, I almost have to remind myself with directors like Wong Kar Wai that like, their work exists when I get a little bit down on some films. Like if I go through a bad run of seeing like rubbish and I start to lose hope that like <laughs> the kind of movies that I like are being made, then I can go back to something like this and, and, and just kind of get lost in it again. It, it's highly highly recommended um and available on disk I was hoping that I'd be able to say like stream it today but I think you have to um you have to get a disk copy um, unless you have some kind of fancy streaming service that I do not know about it's just a shame the only blip on the one car y copy book I think is that one. My Blueberry Nights. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, gobble up everything, Wonka Y, and maybe just stick away from uh, the Blueberry Pie, Nora <laughs> Jones uh, sequences and, and that movie because I don't think it wor- it was his first foray into English language. You know, you've got to forgive him for that. But like, he's a director well worth everyone's time. If you don't know who I'm talking about, look him up. Um, and yeah, start with 2046 if you want. Start with In the Move for Love. Start somewhere. Um, Paul, what have you got? Number what, three?
1: Uh, number three, yes. So I thought about putting Empire Strikes Back in here in this at this point, but again, I've talked about Empire Strikes Back quite recently on our 10 great Films list, so I'm not going to have Empire Strikes Back here. You might, that might, listeners, feel like I've just changed my mind on the fly about what I'm going to put into this spot. You are correct. Uh, what I'm going to put in instead is 2010, the year we made Contact, which is the sequel to uh, 2001, believe it or not. Um, this is directed by... Uh, Peter Hyams, um, who made, I think, I want to say made Capricorn 1, quite possibly. Um, but yeah, so this is made by Peter Hyams. It c- continues the. Well, I say continues the story. It continu- it continues the story that was started in two thousand and one. Basically, the spaceship that goes missing at the end of two thousand and one, uh, they send a rescue. They send an expedition to look to Jupiter to look for the ship and the astronauts that went missing at the end of two thousand and one. Um, I was a bit dubious about watching this. I only watched this for the first time quite recently, and I have to say I really, really liked it. It takes a very different approach to two thousand and one, which for me. Uh, is the key to good sequels and certainly um the, the number 1 on my list you certainly certainly hits that so takes a very very different approach i'd say it's a it's a more accessible, easygoing film than 2001, I would say. And that's not to say, that's not a criticism of 2001 in the slightest. It just takes a very, very different approach to it. It's more, I'd say it's more sort of overtly entertaining and it's got this, the sort of stakes are higher. It's a bit more exciting in places than 2001 is. Um, you've got a great cast. You've got Roy Schneider, uh, John Lithgow, Bob Balaban, Helen, a very young Helen Mirren. Um, and they're basically, they've gone to see what's happened to the astronauts. Uh, I won't spoil any more than that but it actually does add quite a lot to the 2001 uh, it's based on the sequel that was it's based on the book that was the sequel to 2001 so if you haven't seen it uh, definitely check out 2010 the year we made contact because I really yeah. really liked it
0: You've mentioned this a few times on our show, and every time I hear you talk about it, I still feel this like creeping suspicion that you're making it up, just because I've never, <laughs> I've never like seen any evidence of this this film existing. But I 100% take your word for it, and I do need to track it down because it it sounds like the kind of thing that's almost like a you know like a Saturday Night Live joke or something that like oh yeah we were gonna make 2001 but better you know like that Steve Coogan movie Hamlet 2 or whatever <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. something like that where like why would you ever try to make a sequel? Well, to Well, no, movie? this is the
1: thing, and. Honestly, so I went and I went and I said I have only seen it the once and it may be that it's because weight of expectation it may be that it's not quite as good as I remember it when I watched it second time round and maybe it is weight of expectation because I'm thinking what are you doing what are you doing, making a sequel to two thousand and one? What are you doing? And then when it turned out to be rather good, I was just like, okay, I'm 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 on board with this. And again, it's the key thing is it takes a different approach. It doesn't try and be two thousand and one all over again because that just wouldn't have worked. Is it as good as two thousand and one? Of course, it's not. Uh, not by a not by a stretch. But it's yeah, it's certainly one of my one of my most pleasant. If it's I say it's on my list of favourite sequels. It's certainly my the, the sequel that's been the most pleasant surprise to me, without a shadow of a doubt. So, uh, what have you got next, Peter? Number three. So you enjoyed
0: Titanic, Paul? Well, I've got Titanic two.
1: No, I haven't. That is a <laughs> that is a
0: truly, truly, truly bad sequel uh, and and should not exist. But I've actually gone for uh, Park chan uh, follow up to Sympathy for Mister. Vengeance, which of course is called Old Boy. This came out. Is in... this a
1: sequel? Or yes. This is a, this it... is a thematic trilogy. I don't yeah, think that counts.
0: It does. It does. <laughs> it does.
1: Okay, well, it's,
0: it's a sequel in so much as yeah, a thematic sequel is still a sequel, though, isn't it? I think it counts. I'm saying it counts. And oh, if I you don't, don't you if you, you don't agree with me, then I'm going to plunge a knife through your chest and leave you to bleed out by the river, like what happened in the first movie.
1: Well, if you're <laughs> going to threaten that, there's no chance I'm coming to your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh boy,
0: Paul. Uh, everybody, I, I'm sure many people know that this is uh, all about a guy who was locked up in a room. Sequel? it's about a guy who's um taking part in a sequel um he's he's locked up in a room and he doesn't know why but then director Park Chanuk lets him know it's because he wanted to make a sequel to his previous movie but he's not going to tell this guy why he's in the room or why indeed you would make a sequel without keeping any of those central characters in place um Yes, he is finally released from imprisonment after a long period of time, like years and years and years, seven years, 15 years, 15 years, Paul, in a small room on his own. And he doesn't know what the hell to do with himself, but he is determined that he is going to wreak vengeance on whoever put him there. But before he does that, he's got to find out who the hell would want to put him in a locked, padded room for 15 years, and has to track down the old boys of the school that he attended. Now the thing that people forget about the movie Old Boy, as much as it is an absolute wonder, is that the flashback sequences in this movie are straight terrible and if you go back and watch it you will know what I'm talking about, all the kind of Dutch angles and like like shitty footage of, of <laughs> being at the uh, the evergreen old boys, uh, or the, the I think it's called the evergreen school that they, they were at um, Anyway, the plot thickens because uh, a girl becomes involved and the links between the man and the girl are not made clear Paul until the absolutely brutal ending to this movie but the thing to recommend the whole trilogy um, whether, whether this is actually a sequel or not it is I guess immaterial but the thing to recommend the whole thing is the style with which Park Chanuk carries it off because yes it is three movies about revenge about vengeance about a lot of violent vengeance a lot of the time and things that can almost turn your stomach but it's carried off in this sort of balletic um, nimble super stylish way that it it took me from being someone who knew nothing of Park Chanuk to being like oh this is my favourite film director now and I think that probably happened to a lot of people so I would have been when I first saw the first movie I I would have been a teenager uh, I believe and yeah j- just really transformative for me and to come out the end of this trilogy and then see this director go on to the great stuff that he's done since just makes me feel all the happier that like old boy was such a big success both in the asian market and then through stuff like tartan video uh, over here in the uk and like around the world and stuff like that so uh yeah uh, and and choyman six amazing in it as well so um check it out if you haven't uh, Old boy again uh, on disc i don't think it's on prime and i don't think it's on netflix at the moment sorry for that Paul, what have you got at number two,
1: or joint number one, in fact? Because I can't really tell. I can't really oh, put these two geez. apart. They're both by this. Well, they're both by the same director, and they both uh, share similar themes. So I thought we'll choose better... a number
0: two. Choose, do it. Make a number two.
1: Okay, so number two is Terminator Two. Oh day. snap! <laughs> number two for me, Paul. Terminator two. Terminator two. Judgment Day. So, um, so I, oh, that means I get to talk about number one separately, doesn't it? In a minute. Um, so yeah, and I think a lot of the a lot of what I'm going to touch on is going to come up when, in the next film that I talk about. Also directed by James Cameron. Eagle-eyed listeners and anyone who knows even a remote bit about film will know exactly what film I'm going to talk about in a minute. Is it, is it Titanic um, two? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, just Terminator 2, I think it takes the idea of the original, which is an incredible film in its own right, um, and does something very different with the concept. Um, Terminator, The first Terminator is essentially a slasher film. Um, you could just replace Arnold Schwarzenegger with Jason Voorhees, uh, and you would have like a classic, classic sort of slasher film, for want of a better word. That is the correct word for it. I don't know, if I'm correcting myself. You would have a slasher film. So it's basically like a horror chase film. Um, the second one, they up the ante, they add an extra robot into the mix, and shit gets real in Terminator 2. Um, the scale of the action scenes is just incredible. Um, the way they manage to humanize uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator character and have him as a good guy was an incredible idea and a great twist in Schwarzenegger. And he actually shows that Schwarzenegger has got some acting chops. Because he does a very, very good job in this. Uh, Linda Hamilton's transformation from victim to kick-ass uh, feminine hero is fantastic. Um, Robert Patrick is terrifying as the skinny, slight Terminator, who you'd think Schwarzenegger could just rip his arms off. Not if they're made of liquid metal, Pete. And there's a liquid metal robot in it, which is just cool. Just everything about Terminator 2 is just—it's just off the hook. It's brilliant. Right, this is your number two as well, so... It is, yeah, Uh, and yeah, i just
0: probably reiterate all of those things. I mean, we did talk about Terminator 2 when it was uh, re-issued at the cinema not that long ago, Um, so I don't want to sort of say all of the same things again, but, like, it's one of those sort of formative blockbuster movies where the first time that I saw uh, either Terminator and or Terminator 2, it just, it kind of opened me up to the idea that cinema could like it's going to sound too lofty but like cinema could like fully immerse you in a world and that world didn't just have to be the like life of somebody else in you know another place but it could be this sort of fantastical or futuristic world i never as we've discussed in the past paul i was never hooked by um, star wars i was never a, a, a you know, one of the kids who got into that franchise for, for better or worse. But the Terminator, the first two Terminator movies and yeah, the third one's okay and like let's not dwell on some of the other ones. But like the first two Terminator movies, just, it just felt like anything was possible and like movies became quotable and um, the specific sequences became rewatchable to me. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the chopper bite Juggernaut Chase part in Terminator Two, like these kinds of things would like play through my mind when I was, you know, sat on the bus <laughs> as a kid or whatever. And so, it, for for that, like, I think that it's going to be very hard in terms and of like a
1: bit where they they freeze him and he comes back to life and they freeze yeah. him, shatter him, and he comes back to life. And you're like, oh, it's incredible like the way the liquid metal just creeps and, across. And you're and, like, oh, and shit. also,
0: and also, <laughs> you know, you know, I suppose presciently enough in the year 2018 to see that. Linda Hamilton's character in the movie is like a a self reliant, tough. Yes, she has like flashbacks and some apparent imbalance at points in the in the movie but like the fact that she's like this this ass kicking like badass woman who who doesn't really need anyone to help her to do anything um it it was kind of a not revolutionary thing at the time but was certainly rare in in sort of big budget cinema so yeah there's so much to recommend terminator 2 and i sound like a boring old film twat like talking about it now but like (laughs) but but yeah I mean you all know everybody listening to this who's a fan of films knows all the the quotable lines and and knows those moments that will have stuck with them the most the the time where the guy's got to not drop what's that character called he's got to not drop the thing on the floor even though he's dying
1: okay here's a well here's a question for you then is this line from Terminator 2 or is it from Predator Stick around. Uh, it, it's Predator. Way, Well done. I, I mean, I, I was kind
0: of a little bit led by thinking that, yeah, that, that would be the way you'd be going. But yeah, it didn't. It didn't I, I scanned. What I did is I looked at the heads up display in front of my eyes to see where that information sat and, and then scanned your face and then uh, found the conclusion. But yeah, Terminator 2 is absolutely amazing. Paul, what is at number one on this, uh, this chart of fantastical sequels?
1: Uh, number one for me is another Cameron <laughs> sequel uh, and is Aliens, which somehow didn't make it onto my top 10 favourite films of all time list. And I feel bad about that and it should have done. So it's number one in my favourite sequels. Um, again, it's what we talked briefly touched on when we were talking about The Terminator um, and interestingly enough, although James Cameron didn't have any involvement in this, he's taken the... Uh, so Alien is an incredibly tense horror film. Again, much like Terminator with a, a pe- people being stalked by uh, a seemingly, well, an almost invincible and faceless villain. Um, hidden very much in the shadows. Alien's an incredible horror film and a very, very good film. And certainly, yeah, one of the, one of the great sci-fi films without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, James Cameron's approach to Aliens is to go, right, I'm going to do it very, very differently. You've seen one what one Alien's like. Let's have lots of aliens, lots of guns, and lots of marines. Um along with Predator, um, which is a nice link, is those two Aliens and Predator for me do the funniest banter between Marines in any films. Um some of the lines that and they have just been often copied and never Never, never, never replicate successfully. I think Halo, the video game, comes closest when they've got their Sergeant Johnson, which is basically Sergeant Opone from the Aliens films. Um, it just ups the scale, it ups the ante. Um, it turns again Ripley. It create again something James Cameron seems to like to do uh, with a very powerful um, sort of alpha female character in Ripley um, who kicks some ass in this. And the Alien Queen fight scene at the end is just one of my favourite set pieces I think ever ever committed to screen. Uh, I was lucky enough to see this at the cinema a couple of years ago, and if you haven't seen Aliens on the big screen, do so as soon as you can because it is incredible at the cinema, absolutely incredible. And I just think it's it's one of the best action films of all time. It's just it's just a lot of fun and just just it's out, it's out there. It's absolutely out there. I love it.
0: Paul, number one for me. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Um, I'm delighted I get to talk about this, because I feel like it's a movie I've never talked about on the show. But at number one for me is the movie Dawn of the Dead from George A. Romero from 1978. Uh, Of course, the sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Now, this movie is one of those ones where jump back like 15 years in my life if we'd done a your favourite movies of all time list it would have just gone like bang in at number one yeah. because I was so high on not only George A. Romero not only zombie movies but very particularly the movie Dawn of the Dead and I think that part of the reason for that is because in my earlier years um, teenage years I guess when you're trying to find your way of like what kind of movies work for you or like what film directors are interesting and have your own opinions and stuff like that and sp- off about stuff that you like Uh, when I found Dawn of the Dead I was like this, tied with stuff like um, early Cronenberg and things, is like one of those movies where even as a teenager you can read the subtext very clearly, when you've got this movie where you've got a team of folks taking refuge in an abandoned shopping mall from the uh, on-walking or rushing uh, zombie horde and you see that the inclination of mankind is to gravitate towards a shopping (coughs) centre Um, like that it sounds simplistic now to say this at sort of 34 years old but at the time it was some some sort of penny dropping in my head where it was like oh so the movie can be like scary and entertaining and cool and quotable and memorable but also it's saying quite a lot about the society of the late 1970s but even maybe equally the society that we were living in at the time and at the time this would have been I don't know the late 90s probably Probably by the time I, I saw the movie for the first time. So, yeah, I've, I've got to rewatch it, Paul. I've absolutely got to rewatch it. But I remember with, with great, great clarity from the two or three or four times that I've seen this movie that it is unmistakably my favorite zombie movie of all time. And right up there. I mean, there are a load of things that could have gone number one. Yes, Godfather 2 is a really good movie. But, like, you know, when I think of Godfather 2, Paul, never never I never <laughs> ever think about it. I mean it's fantastic it's a fantastic movie I think it might it's be a good point actually, yeah it's
1: a very very yeah it's got but I never think about it yeah, I, and, yeah I, so.
0: and I think that maybe an emergent theme in doing these lists in the last few episodes is that for me it's more interesting to talk about the films that when we posit this list like when we throw it out there what comes to mind what grabs you like what's stuck in your head for all these years and for me that's why Dawn of the Dead has to be number one My favourite sequel of all time, apart from Titanic 2.
1: Have you seen the um, Dario Argento cut, by the way? Because it's quite different.
0: I don't believe I have, but okay. then a lot of time has passed. So yeah, if well, not, watching. I then... don't think
1: it's quite as good as the original cut. Because I, um, you'd be surprised to know, but I imported an Italian limited 4K edition of Dawn no of way. The No yeah. way,
0: no <laughs> way. I don't believe uh, it.
1: But they, the 4K, the, the cut that's in 4K is the Argento cut. So it's not quite as good as the cut you've seen. But it's still, uh, if you're into the film, it's worth checking out. The Argento, Argento,
0: well. they probably just like inserts a character played by Asia Argento who gets raped because that seems to be what happens in a lot of his movies but uh, yeah although that's a bit topical these these days with what's been going on with her I guess but um, that sounds like a really weird thing to say but she's embroiled in the Harvey Weinstein stuff isn't she Asia Argento I think?
1: She is yeah she's embroiled in the Harvey Weinstein stuff and also there's been counter accusations thrown at her from a younger male actor that apparently she potentially had sexual relations with that she shouldn't have done because he was a minor so yes.
0: And it's it's not connected to I don't think to sort of sexual offences and I don't know how, how we got here directly but um, yeah, I remember her,
1: you, get, you dig yourself out of this one.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm fine. I remember her talking about she co-starred in a movie with Jonathan Reese Mayers and then uh, hooked up with him and was quite open about that. And then basically just openly mocked his like lack of sexual prowess in the media. So uh, yeah, don't don't uh, fuck with Asia Argento quite literally, I guess. Um, yes, Paul, Dawn of the Dead though from the uh, <laughs> from 1978 is my number one. And number one for you, of course, was aliens a pretty solid list i think given that when you talk about um sequels people generally start murmuring about like oh there's no point in sequels they're all shit they're a waste of time absolutely not true and i think we've proved it here today paul
1: I agree. I agree. So we'll be back uh, after this very brief break for, I would say, a fairly brief last section. So we've got quite into talking about sequels, and we've run on quite a long time. But that's all good. We'll be not back worried, after about, that, this. Not worried um, about that, Paul. Not worried about that, Paul, because the sequel to Set
0: Two, Act Two, is going to be Act Three, and in Act Three, <laughs> we're going to talk about things that don't have sequels but should have.
1: Right after this. Right, I'm going to come right out of the gate uh, and say that I, Pete, want to see a sequel to Hellboy 2. I want to see Hellboy 3. I, I also want to see Neil Marshall's redoing of Hellboy with David as Hellboy. But I would love to see Del Toro's Hellboy trilogy be completed because I really, really like the Del Toro and... I would very much like to see a sequel to Hellboy 2, which almost made my list, I have to say, because Hellboy 2 was a lot better. If there was a list of sequels better than the originals, Hellboy 2 would certainly be quite high up there. Um, And it leaves it so well open for a third film that I think it's a shame that we didn't get one. Um, And I think part of that is due to the box office of Hellboy 2 not being great. But they did release Hellboy 2 very, 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 very closely to The Dark Knight, uh, which is foolhardy um, from a studio to have done that. And I think that's part of the problem that Hellboy 2 didn't do that well. I don't think it's to do with the quality of the film. I think it's very good. And I would very much like to see uh, Hellboy 3, which we're not going to see now because the characters moved elsewhere. So that's a bit of a shame. Uh, Pete, what do you think? Have you seen it? Like it? Um, I've got to be
0: honest I, I've seen Hellboy 1 and 2 and I don't totally get on with them and I think that part of that is is not because they're bad films by any stretch In, in even in my opinion but it's just because my opinion of Guillermo del Toro is is so sort of um, high that maybe i just i just want more like devil's backbone and pan's labyrinth and stuff yeah. like that and that clouds my judgment a little bit when it comes to those movies but i've got to go back to them and like yeah i mean get, give guillermo del toro the ability to put out a film every six months and i'll be happy do what <laughs> you know they can all they can all be like well no i would say they can all be like uh, robots punching each other in the this face the at, yes. and or hellboy but but like let's throw in a sort of um you know uh uh a slightly contemplative uh study of like the spanish civil war or whatever every now and again and then i'll be sated for a bit more time um paul something from our countdown that brought to mind something that should have a sequel another sequel do you reckon come like 2022 we could get let's say before apocalypse uh <laughs> the the fourth installation in the before, before- the shops
1: close that would, that yeah be, yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: before the oceans rise i don't know but um th- at this point we yeah we'd see a sort of um More manhood uh, uh, ma- ma- yeah i guess we could go boyhood <laughs> manhood yeah but i don't know if i want to go back to that guy i think i'm kind of done with that guy the boyhood is, is done his boyhood and I'm i'm okay with not seeing him whereas like jesse and celine i'd go back in nine years and see what's up with them um, yeah into that idea for sure um recent things uh, what did i put here moonlight in a kind of similar way continue with okay. the story of moonlight further into the future it's not going to happen but um i'd go for that yeah, and a one totally different kind of um, left field one paul remember that movie wild tales i think it's argentinian and we I talked think about I've it i've seen it uh, it's like a kind of portmanteau of like little stories about crazy shit happening oh them- i've
1: seen i i'm aware of the blu-ray box because it's got yeah. a woman in a wedding dress on the front, hasn't it? It has. And it's really, really yeah. good. And it, yeah,
0: watch it if you haven't seen it yet. Even if like you're in that mood where you're like, oh, I don't know if I can commit to anything, commit to that because it just snaps along at a pace. It's really funny and kind of um, violent and, and out of control at times and really great. And they could make another one of those and I'd lap it up. Um, also of a recent release, um, I want to see what happened with the guy out Patterson. Um, because I just like being in that world. And <laughs> just, sequel. That,
1: that's, yeah. that's likely, very likely. More Ma- likely than a Marvel, another Marvel film, Well, well you say that,
0: <laughs> but then like Ghost Dog, you'd think, oh, Jim Jarmusch isn't the kind of guy who's going to make a sequel, yeah, and, and now he's he making dog. one. So maybe when he's right old, he's going to go like, oh, let's go back to Patterson and see if he's still driving the bus around and whether his, his dog has like, chewed up any more of his stuff. Um, anything else, Paul, that, that's uh, sprung so up for you? So,
1: I want to see a sequel to Dread. I think if any film deserves Oh, any, I wrote that yeah. down as well. Yeah. yeah, Dread absolutely deserves a sequel. Carl Urban's great in it. Um, I think Fantastic. It, yeah, superbly, superbly put together film. Um, apparently Pete Travis down as director, but from what I've been reading now, I think it it does appear that Alex Garland did most of the work on that, and I think edited the film to completion. Um, mm. So that's quite interesting, and actually makes more sense, I think. And wasn't Alex um,
0: Garland a writer on Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: and then I've got another, I've got a couple here. I'd love to see Mystery. I'd love to see a sequel to Mystery Men. I think now is the time to bring the Mystery Men back. This is a film I think we've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, a very very silly superhero spoof with um, Ben Stiller as Mr. Furious um someone as the shoveler um captain fantastic uh, jeffrey rush's casanova frankenstein who camping it up to to brilliant effect um yeah i'd like to see mystery man come back for a sequel i think that would be a lot of fun i think it was ahead of its time in sort of spoofing the superhero films and i think it was in, uh, very effective at doing so so i'd like to see that back um two more i've got on my list do, do you want to jump in pete or oh i was
0: just going to jump in with um the uh the real like uh soft pedal one i guess is uh with the qualification that the recent episodes seem to have just, just nosedived horribly for the most part, I would completely uh, be open to a uh, second Simpsons feature film. Oh, okay. Because the thing is, I really like the Simpsons movie, and I sure. think what it allows them to do in terms of expanding the story is very worthwhile in in like such a rich universe. It's just that like some of the writings in the TV series now seems to have got very like lazy and too contemporary and like too specifically related to current times rather than universal in the way it used to be. But that's you know, for our other podcast strangers watching T V. Um, Paul, what else? I've got I've got a big one left, but yeah, what else have you got?
1: Um so district nine, I'd quite like to see a district it, ten, obviously where that goes, District eight um, was rubbish to, though. Yeah, district, district, district ten 9. I'd quite like to see a fun on invasion. Yeah. I- I'd quite like to see a full-on invasion where the aliens come back um, and then we have to fight them. So I'd look forward to that. It'd be very much like a... I would imagine a bit like a... um, Well, a bit like Alien-Aliens kind of relationship or 28 Days Later in 28 Weeks. Oh... 28 weeks later. That's just the thought. I'd like to see 28 months later. I'd like to see another 28 28 film, for want of a better word. Uh, Because I thought 28 weeks later was was a very, very good sequel. And again, it's something very, very different. So I'd quite like to see a sequel to that. Uh, And then I've got one more, uh, which I will get in quickly, which is uh, Serenity. Um, I would very much like a sequel to *Serenity*. The *Firefly* TV series on which it's based is brilliant. This is written by Joss Whedon and starring Nathan Fillion. Um, I've got to, just to rub, rub it in. I've got a signed *Serenity* Blu-ray, but when I met Nathan Fillion, that was very, very cool. I just wanted to rub that into uh, *Serenity* fans out there. But I think the, the characters were taken away from us too soon. Um, the film sets up that you could, even if you, I'd have another TV series, preferably because you get more of it, or another film. I think there is enough appetite out there for it. Fox cancelled the TV series too early the film did surprisingly well in the cinema yet we still haven't seen any more from this universe so um, yeah I'd very much like to see a serenity sequel Do you remember Paul a uh,
0: a few years ago there was a movie that no one really paid attention to called Jane Got a Gun and I still haven't yeah, yes. I haven't seen it either, man. I haven't it was seen it yet, I think the reason no. that it that it just didn't seem particularly appealing to have a kind of home on the range western type movie fronted by Natalie Portman. But I'll tell you what is appealing, Paul, is a grown-up Natalie Portman in the sequel to the film Leon the Professional. Let's revisit that world and now have the the uh student become the master. Let's have like a fully grown adult Natalie Portman <laughs> sniping people um from rooftops all in all in where where's that movie can i have that would you be into that you seem you seem quiet in your reaction
1: or... i don't know to be honest i i can't i don't know for me having watched leon quite recently i think it works I, don't, I think that would be a bit silly. Well it, it, not, it wouldn't, be like, really, it wouldn't be like Luke Besson it wouldn't be like Luke
0: Besson to do something I did enjoy silly because he's always so. such a sort of um, <laughs> such a reserved filmmaker who only does things that are deadly serious yeah like you know we should caveat <laughs> yeah. all this stuff by saying I don't realistically think any of the things I've said are actually going to happen apart from the Linklater one if Linklater goes back to, to Jesse and Celine in, in nine years that will come as no surprise to me but apart from that it's more like pie in the sky it would be cool I guess dread is an outside possibility but the other ones
1: i Dread, apparently don't. dread's getting a tv series uh, as far as i'm aware and i don't know whether carl urban's down to star in it or not so hopefully if carl urban signs up to that that could be great uh, i think that's yeah i think that's a that's a nice shout as tv series will even you end up with more dread that way so there is some things happening with dread whether or not it's in the same universe whether or not it'll be the same team involved i don't know or, or hopefully they don't just reboot the whole thing hopefully they do use the film as the as the crux of whatever they're making next so um, Firefly stroke Serenity realistically I, I can't see it now it's been it's been a while there's been a lot of rumblings like Netflix have got a thing about bringing things back uh, from the dead especially TV shows so whether we get a series or another film I don't know um, but I'd say it's probably been a bit too long now and the cast have probably all moved on to do other things so yeah I'd say probably not that feasible in my list either for any of those to get sequels apart from maybe a 28 week well right the, question sequel, that
0: that's, the question that's going to be on everyone's mind right now Paul is are we ever going to get another one of these and the answer to that is yes you are and that is going to happen not in a fortnight paul because we're not going to near kill ourselves at the weekend so uh it's going to happen about this time next week uh until then do we know what's coming up paul i don't know if we're if we're heads up on on what's about uh yeah, simple a simple favourite. We yeah we're be we, reviewing simple we will do something whether it will be a central feature or a, a kind of shorter review um w- remains to be seen depending on what other stuff we go to and think is worth your time and ours Um, but yeah that's the Anna Kendrick Blake Lively uh, movie from Paul Feig and might be worth a a bit of a chit chat on next week's show until then though uh, please do share the show around, get in contact with us via all social media channels, we are strangers in a cinema, Paul have you got anything else to say before we sign off for today? Uh, No. Well in that case (laughs) until this time next week uh, you know keep it legal um, and take care and we'll see you then Goodbye. Shut up and sit down we